0: The three pillars of Hot Takedown are we're pro-cheating, we're pro-personality, and we're pro gimmick.
1: Yeah, that seems right. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is January 14th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at five thirty eight. I'm joined in the studio, as always, by senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi Neil.
0: Hi Sarah. How's it going? Uh it's good. You know, a little sleep deprived after uh that national championship game. Yeah, late night. late
1: night, night sports events are take, taking a toll. And on the line from Los Angeles is five thirty eight contributor Jeff Foster.
2: Hi Sarah. They're on a little too early here. Not to be, not to complain. I was gonna not say to complain, but, when
0: did the when did the game you know, go between yesterday, the the college football game for you?
1: It was over by like nine for you, right?
2: Yeah, something like that. But the fact that I like I missed the first half, basically, because it's 5 o'clock. I mean, who's who's sitting down at a television at 5 o'clock? It's appointment television, Jeff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Joe Burrow, come on. So last night, LSU beat Clemson 42-25. to 25. Quick reminder that last week, Jeff picked Clemson.
0: Yeah, I did. I did. I, uh,
2: wait, is this the part of the podcast where you guys make fun of me for yes. taking a risk? Wait, all so, parts of so the podcast are that, yeah. <laughs> Would I be better served... Uh, just always picking
0: the favorite. I guess that's my lane.
2: I took a shot!
0: I took a shot!
2: (laughs) To be fair,
1: Clemson was the favorite in our model. (laughs) That is true. Now, you you obviously were not the only one. In fact, the line really closed yesterday. Um, It was only... Like LSU four or something. So, but it was a, it, it
0: looked like a good pick for a little while. Yeah, I actually was thinking yeah. like, oh my god, is Clemson going to win?
1: This I thing? know, I know. I was afraid that you were going to be able to make fun of us, Jeff. But luckily, that didn't happen, and uh, yeah. and we could carry on with our lives. I
0: honestly forgot we made picks for that game. <laughs>
1: nice. <laughs> also, on Monday, there were repercussions for the Houston Astros sign stealing scandal. GM Jeff Luno and coach A.J. Hinch were suspended and then fired Monday for their roles in
2: the scandal.
1: Were you guys surprised by the punishment for this? Do you think it fit the crime?
2: I don't know if it fit the crime, but I was surprised. It was it was harsh. I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, I don't think it's over, too. Do you guys think Alex Cora is
0: getting fired? Yeah. yeah, it certainly sounded like they found that he was sort of central to the to the scheme of the trash can banging and all that.
1: Well, and central to two different. And schemes. yeah, the Red Sox had yeah. their
0: own sign stealing scandal. So yeah, apart, yeah it seems like yeah, in
1: the, the Red Sox scandal, apart from the the one we already knew about the Apple Watch scandal from 2017, then they also. Stole signs in the um, 2018, supposedly the World Series, and then they're there. I mean, the accusations right now are just flying. They're which flying, I, which I love because yeah. this is garbage.
0: That validates what you have yes. said the whole time, which is everyone's doing it, and. We don't even know if it worked. I think that that's still like something that should be pointed out. And even in this report, they quoted players as saying like they found it distracting. They stopped doing it midway through the 2018 season because they weren't even sure if it was worth it. My take on all this is that it, this is just more of the same sort of like spin control, damage control, PR type stuff where it's like they blame Luno and they blame hench and probably cora um and so they can kind of fire and or suspend those guys with impunity. They don't have to take it to the Players Association by blaming specific players because then there would be a fight uh, between MLB and the MLBPA. And even Jim Crane can say, well, we've, we've expunged the, the wrongdoers from the organization and it's time to move forward. No need to question the legitimacy of the, tw- of the 2017 World Series. We can all kind of you know, move on with our lives. So it was all just like a dog and pony show to um, placate. although i don't think it placated anyone i mean i don't know i think people are as conflicted as ever about it i think this as much
2: as this is a huge hornet's nest and i feel bad for rob manford for having to just deal with this because this is a nightmare in the making if it's not already it's the the first first time um, anyone (laughs) has said that i
1: think that's the first the first uh, sympathy rob manford has gotten that's nice
2: it's an ugly situation but i think that being said the fact that they have this in their constitution that it's not going to be you know result in player punishments is probably lessening that headache. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if Carlos Beltron's fired also. Yeah. Uh, after recently being hired from the Mets, because well, who knows with the Mets? But you would think that you wouldn't want a new manager who is just you know an integral part of the biggest scandal in baseball. You know, leading your team. So I, that wouldn't shock me either, even though it, he was technically a player when it was going on. But I have a question for Sarah because I know that you are pro sign stealing, which <laughs> I respect and I totally understand because I do think the rules are vague. The fact that, you know, sign stealing is partially legal if you're not using technology just sort of creates this gray area as we add technology and it becomes more accessible and all that. But it, there must be a limit to your own opinion of science. Like, you can't be pro the Apple Watch variation of science stealing, right?
1: I'm pro whatever people think they can get away with as long as everyone can do it. Every team is looking for an edge and every team is, is using whatever edge they find. And we know that. We see cheating or what we consider what the league might consider to be cheating happen in broad daylight with teams all the time we have seen pitchers spray stuff on their
0: arms before going to the Astros mound. pitchers yeah. by the way it all really kind of comes back <laughs> to the yeah Astros.
1: I know which is why this is coming down on the Astros because they push things to the limit and they were the most
0: blatant like for sure the trash can banging everyone could hear that for sure like, They didn't do a great job of hiding this for sure where do you draw the line Is my question. I'm
1: not sure the line exists yet. I mean, I think baseball exists as if technology doesn't exist, and that is ridiculous, and that has always bothered me. And, like, if I can see the signs on my TV from home, I have always assumed that someone is looking at that. To the point about the Astros, all of this coming down on the Astros, I... Don't think that this would have been that this would have happened and had been so severe had the Brandon Tobman thing not happened. He was also also, suspended yesterday. And I just want to point out that that guy was suspended for a year for yelling at a group of female reporters. His suspension was longer than the player he was defending or whatever for domestic assault. (laughs) We are now suspending people for like an Uncomfortable, offensive outburst more than we're suspending them for actually abusing
0: someone. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about all of this being for show. Yeah. You know, it's not about the actual crimes, it's about sort of minimizing the perception of uh, the crimes or making yourself seem like you're coming down hard on the people that have committed these crimes.
2: When you have a strong union involved, it's a lot easier to punish management than it is to punish the members of the union, and, right. and that that makes sense. So, I mean, as as bad as it is, and the optics are of what you just described, it it also d- does kind of check out. I sort of wonder: Do you think Luno and and Hinch are
0: done, or w- are they going to get jobs? Oh, I feel like they're definitely going to get jobs, right?
1: Yeah, Toddman,
0: probably not.
1: No, he's probably done. But I saw something on Twitter like speculating when the Mets will be able to sign. Oh, <laughs> you know? So you know, it's going to be the Mets I,
0: Renaissance. Yeah, is, exactly. Uh, him.
1: I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what happens to Alex Cora. I think that will like that has the potential to shift my <laughs> my narrative about the Astros because if he if he gets a oh, year suspension. I mean, and I, I assume Red Sox fans will be unhappy about that. That will be interesting to see.
2: They'll fire him.
0: Yeah, I think he'll yeah. get, I mean, there's a pretty good chance he'll get fired too. And then like the the whole incident will just leave like a smoking crater <laughs> and in the middle of the late 2010s baseball, you know, like ch- multiple champions yeah, called into question. You know, you've got, uh, who's it, Phil Hughes on Twitter yesterday saying like, can they can they just expunge the stats of the the hit, the Astros hitters against me? You know they had an unfair advantage. You know to my which reaction you spotted to that. Whose stats would Phil Hughes <laughs> want included in his <laughs> in his record? I,
1: I stand by that.
0: <laughs> and then you had Logan Morrison who was saying like, actually, I know for a fact that the Yankees have done this and, and the, the Dodgers. Dodgers have done yeah. this. All the teams that are like crying about being yeah. wronged and their fans. And here's my take. I think also that you wouldn't have seen the reaction to the Astros – as strong as it was. If it weren't the Yankees that were sort of perceived to have been thwarted on multiple occasions by the Astros, and the media power of the Yankees is sort of feeding into this outrage machine that led to uh, the severity uh, or perceived severity of the scandal,
1: which is also ridiculous because the Yankees have also been fined for illegal sign stealing. If you're if you accuse someone else of doing it, I, you I you're doing it. it. Yeah, I hundred percent smelt it. it,
0: dealt it of. <laughs> of baseball scandals
1: (laughs) (laughs) exactly what do
2: you think would have happened i'm firing off a lot of questions today here from los angeles what do you think would have happened if this came out right after the astros won the world series does that become a scenario where they take the world series away from them
0: oh i i i don't know that you take World Series away from people in this day and age outside of like the NCAA pretending that like USC didn't win those championships <laughs> or um, Louisville, but a, a pro league hasn't done that, right?
1: I mean, I see your point, Jeff, but I think what would have probably happened was that the league would have drawn out an investigation as long as possible so that there was a little bit more mm. separation there. Like, we'd be hearing Just about filibuster. it. Filibuster. In spring training or something. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, this cushion of like multiple years I feel like also has sort of reduced the – downplayed the, the furor around it at least. I
1: think it helps that they did not win last, last fall. year. Oh yeah. my
0: god. Could you imagine if they did actually yeah. – if they were defending champs because they would have lumped in the 2019 – World Series with the 20, 2017 World Series. Some people
1: were already doing that and like not really realizing that it was different years. So yeah, I mean, I think it, it's good that it's been a couple of years. On today's show, we'll dig into another exciting weekend of the NFL playoffs and discuss its biggest upset yet. We'll look at how players in the NBA are covered, and we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs this weekend did not disappoint. While there was only one upset in the four games, it was a big one. The number six seed, Tennessee Titans, took down the number one Baltimore Ravens in an upset on Saturday night. This was the first time since 2010 that a number one seed had lost to a number six seed. Going into Saturday, the 538 model gave Baltimore an 87% chance of winning the game and a 48% chance of becoming Super Bowl champions. (laughs) The upset has led to a flurry of takes, but perhaps none sadder than from the Ravens' own Marlon Humphreys, a cornerback, who after the game had this to say about his team.
2: This team right now is identities to get the playoffs and choke.
1: Jeff, looking at the Ravens' performance, is it fair to say that they just choked? What went wrong for them in this game?
2: Uh, besides for everything?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, besides that, yeah.
2: I think people are getting a little, you know, too quick to just sort of bury the entire team and the system and Lamar Jackson because of one game. I think what happened was Tennessee's tough and, you know, Dean Pease and that defense, they had a really great plan for stopping Lamar and a team was bound to do it. I mean, it happened last year, but it happened in the playoffs this year. And I think if you look at this, the way the game flowed, I mean, I think you start with that interception on Baltimore's first offensive possession um, that seemed to kind of rattle Jackson a little bit. He doesn't, he's not a guy who throws a lot of interceptions. Um, and I think he was kind of forcing it from there, from that point on. And then it really, the two fourth and ones. And go, they showed that stat on the, on, uh, during the game that they hadn't missed a fourth and one all season and then to miss two and and not even like, they weren't even close. I mean, he was just stuffed. Um, I think you take away those two plays, you take away that first interception. It just, it just kind of built on top of each other. All the credit goes to you know Tennessee and the, the plan they had in place.
1: The fourth down plays were sort of unfortunate from an analytics perspective because they were the right call. They were the right thing to do in those situations. They just didn't work, which, like, that sometimes happens.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, this this was like the total custom-made game to kind of uh, criticize analytics over because on the one hand, you had the team that was sort of you know, they were a great rushing team. People sort of pointed out that they did uh, lead the league in rushing yards during the regular season. But they also had, you know, arguably the best quarterback in football um, passing wise or maybe second best behind Patrick Mahomes. And then they also, you know, had John Harbaugh sort of making decisions that were infused by analytics. There are stories about how how much they've sort of used that and, and worked that into their coaching staff during the season. Then on the other hand, you have Tennessee, which is just built like a 1970. 70s <laughs> team uh where like Ryan Tannehill throws for under a hundred yards and completes half his passes, uh, but Derrick Henry runs thirty times for you know basically two hundred yards, and they played just this like totally alien style compared with how the game has been trending this decade. Uh, and so it was just sort of like a custom-made upset for for people to just be like Huh? Maybe, um, you know, the 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 running game is back. Yeah, and maybe the passing we, game is dead. The passing game is overrated. That yeah. kind of thing.
2: They also just
0: took Lamar
2: Jackson and Baltimore out of their game. He threw the ball fifty nine times. This is like the what the best running team in NFL history, and he's throwing the ball fifty nine times. They completely reversed the script and put him in a position where they had to play catch up. And they, if you looked at him, you know, when he was dancing around in the backfield there was not that as fast as he is there was not that many lanes for him to run so he couldn't except for that one you know i think 30 yard run he he pulled off at some point in the game there was really not much there for him he they were kind of le- allowing him to throw and and that's not you know as much as he's improved his passing that's not his game
1: Mark Ingram was banged up. That like had to hurt their pa- their rushing game a little bit too. So they they just didn't have the balance that they normally have. And then and then Tennessee just took them completely out of it.
0: Yeah, and and I think maybe there are like fair questions to raise about Lamar Jackson in the sense that this team probably isn't built to come out of one of those deficits that they found themselves in really early. Uh, and there are teams that are. We can look at the Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes who sort of made a twenty four nothing deficit just disappear immediately in a game that started out somewhat similarly to the to the way the Ravens lost uh, but Lamar Jackson is a different kind of of quarterback, and I do think that there might be something also to the fact that this was by far the most number of snaps in a game that he had seen dime coverage or you know more defensive backs so six or more defensive backs as since that. Chargers loss in the playoffs last year where they infamously used seven defensive backs against him and you would think that you know Loading up on defensive backs is not necessarily the great recipe to stop a running team. But when it comes to the way Lamar Jackson runs and the way this offense is sort of set up, they were content to let him run for 143 yards in this game. Uh, And he actually became the first quarterback to, I believe, throw for 300 yards and rush for 100 yards in the same game in the playoffs in history. But it was sort of empty numbers that weren't really serving the Ravens' attempts to be able to put points on the board. So I think those are things that maybe he does need to kind of address going forward. But somebody else also pointed out that Lamar Jackson right now is still he just turned 23 7 days ago and at this same age Tom Brady wasn't even in the NFL <laughs> uh, and and uh, Peyton Manning had just thrown i think 28 interceptions in a season so like we're sort of holding this guy because he had been so great during the regular season to sort of a different standard than I think we would hold other young quarterbacks I think he's still you know easily ahead of the curve for someone at his age even though you know maybe there are certain defensive looks that he's just not quite well equipped to uh, be able to beat right now
2: along those same lines but less relevant do you see that (laughs) Joe (laughs) Burrow (laughs) did you see that Joe Burrow's older than Sam Darnold just throwing that out there
1: our uh our friend contributor Mike Selfino brings that up literally all the time (laughs) you have to well okay so Lamar Jackson so there have been a lot of you know, takes or maybe bracing for takes that he is overrated because of this one game. Does that, I mean, how do, how should we look at his season as a whole? Does this game matter that much, Jeff?
2: I think it matters because now this is two years in a row where, you know, like when you get to the playoffs, you're going to get the good defenses that, that's just how football works. And in two straight years, the team has been able to scheme to completely shut down what was working against everyone else. When he reaches the playoffs in future years, we're going to... See a probably a different game plan from Baltimore. They'll probably hold some stuff back and, you know, save some wrinkles.
1: I can't wait for the redemption storylines oh, yeah. when he wins yeah. that playoff yeah. Yeah. game. It's just crazy. <laughs> are so it writes itself. You just to have to fill reactions. in the names of the teams.
0: Yeah, it'll and it'll all be because of the criticism that the media leveled against him. You know, it's like the media. <laughs> the media
1: saves the day, right? the media,
0: yeah, like it's our job to criticize players, but then uh we can also take credit oh, no, yeah. when when they do well. We make because them better with we Our make criticism. them better. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. I should also note that even after that disappointing game. He's still the number one rated quarterback in our QB Elo system. He's a little bit ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Maybe you guys have opinions on this. A lot of people brought up the idea that it's going to be a weird ceremony when he receives the MVP award, which I think most people view as a lock because of the way that their season ended. They won so many games and then just for it to be over after one playoff game uh, and people st- sort of dug up this old argument that maybe the MVP should include the playoffs. And if you don't vote on the MVP until after the playoffs, then does Lamar Jackson still win the MVP? Now I've been one to sort of say like, maybe we need to devalue the regular season less in all of these sports that we've devalued the regular season so much that this would just be another way in which we do that. But what do you guys think? Should the MVP voting, be extended to include and be able to account for playoff games? No,
2: it's a regular season award.
0: But if we don't care about the regular season, which is increasingly true across all sports, then why should we award sort of the highest individual honor based on this subset of games that we all have sort of agreed to devalue.
1: In the NFL, we do care about the regular season, right? We care
0: about it more than the the, NBA, which we'll talk about later on the show. But that's like saying, yeah, I mean, like, could you care about something less than the NBA regular season?
1: (laughs) Right. But I guess I, I sort of dispute this premise. Does one bad game mean that you shouldn't win an award?
0: Well, if Patrick Mahomes goes on to win, uh, you know, the Super Bowl or whatever, would that should that give him the edge? I guess is maybe more the question. Uh, looking at the body of work, not just in the regular season, but across the whole, you know, totality of all the games played.
2: But this is so warped because we're talking about this bad game where he. Ran for 143 yards as a quarterback and threw for 365 yards. I know, I but mean, did what did have a terrible they had, game! He had
0: a 63.2 <laughs> quarterback rating in the game. Just wanted to point. They that out. had
2: 530 yards in the game. They just—it was just a series of bad events. He threw two interceptions and he had a fumble, and he, they were 0 and four on fourth down, including the two fourth and ones. That's seven possessions right there. If those all become touchdowns, he basically has the same game Mahomes had. He put up huge numbers. He was still, you know, the most dynamic player on the field by far, at least on Baltimore's side.
1: I mean, Patrick Mahomes won the MVP last season. He did not win the Super Bowl. Nobody cares. Nobody cared at the time.
0: But he played well in that playoff game. In fact, the narrative around that game was that they would have won if they had had a chance to let him, you know, like actually touch a football in overtime.
1: I mean, sure. you could also say that if the Ravens could have stopped Derrick Henry like once or twice, maybe that game could have been differently. I mean, I don't think you put the whole game on Jackson. Do you? I- That sounds crazy to me. No,
2: not at all. I mean, look, they they were completely thrown off. I mean, Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards between them had fewer than 10 carries. I mean, it, it just became... Completely on
0: Jackson's shoulders to do everything in both the ground and the air. But isn't that the uh, isn't that the point of the MVP? Is the player who I'm totally playing devil's advocate. (laughs) I know. Uh, But you know, if we're going to give someone credit for you know the idea of carrying a team as the MVP, shouldn't we also put blame on them when they're unable to do that in the most important game of the year?
1: No. I mean, sure. You can have it both no. ways. No. So. Yes, I can. No. <laughs> I mean, what is most valuable player? Like he got his team where they were. He couldn't get them over that hump in the playoffs. But playoffs. I mean, do you even have to make the? Pl- How far do you have to go in the playoffs to be an MVP?
2: Matt Ryan won an MVP. I mean, the Dan Marino. These guys, the MVPs never win the Super Bowl except for Tom Brady, basically. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just I feel like I'm glad it doesn't include the postseason because I don't think I think people would vote on the last impression a player made on them. And I think that that is unfortunate because it shouldn't be whatever they did in their final game. It should be the totality of the regular season. All right. So last week, our model gave Tennessee a 31 percent chance against the Patriots. And then this weekend they had only a 13 percent chance to beat the Ravens what is our model missing about the Titans, Neil?
0: So we crunched the numbers on that and found that that 13% actually was the biggest upset in the Super Bowl era. By ELO? Uh, According to ELO, a lot of people on um, betting Twitter disagreed with that. So, you know, I don't know. Strongly. Yeah, I I don't know how to interpret that. I wonder, though, in in general, you know, so what ELO does is – it tries to come up with sort of like a global strength of a team against a generic opponent or someone representative of of who they might play. We adjust for the quarterback's performance, which I think probably was playing a lot into the Ravens high rating too because Lamar Jackson had this amazing historic uh, MVP season. And it doesn't talk about the stylistic uh You know, decisions that a team makes and the strengths and weaknesses that might play into a team being able to defy what a generic marker of strength would predict. So, in the case of the Titans, they were able to feast on the fact that the Ravens' run defense isn't that good. And they have this amazing rushing attack that got stronger as the season went on. So, even if you look at like full season metrics, you would probably be undervaluing the Titans' running strength. And so that's probably the next step in something like ELO is just trying to figure out, you know, can we add something about the particulars of a given matchup that would cause it to lean in a certain direction? And I don't know how much higher on the Titans' would, would something like that have, have been if we had it in the model? I mean, it certainly would not have made them favorites. They were playing on the road against a team that went 14 and 2 that was, you know, a dominant team historically by any marker and had the best quarterback statistically in the league, I'm not... And they were starting Ryan Tannehill. I'm not totally sure how much higher would it have been to make some people happy. 20% would that have, you (laughs) know, made people happy? I mean, it still was a historic upset. I think that's the takeaway from it is that even if you disagree with the 13%, it was one of the biggest upsets in playoff history.
1: And I think, you know, this is where... Betting lines could possibly take into account, you know, stylistic things or coach decision kinds of injuries
0: to non quarterbacks.
1: Sure, yeah. Or, like, oh, Derrick Henry is on fire right now. That maybe will boost you know, that team in better's minds and move that line a little bit. The line was still Ravens minus ten. Like it's every this was an upset in every That's
2: a big line.
1: In every sense. Yeah. Yeah,
0: double digit home favorites in playoff games, in especially in the divisional round, don't tend to lose. Right.
1: And there were, as we just discussed, a lot of fluky things in that game, and the game really did have to go just about perfectly for the Titans. And we saw how a game does not go perfectly for a team that gets out to a big lead in the Texans the next day. So, I mean, I I think sometimes upsets happen. And, And I don't think we should feel bad about that, that the model didn't predict an upset. That's what's great about sports. Sometimes there'll be upsets that no one saw coming, and that's fantastic.
2: And also with the Derrick Henry thing, I mean, yes, he's on fire. And he looked amazing, but also the game the way, the way the game played itself out, the script was perfect for him. I mean, it was like get out to a lead and just run the ball, get keep Jackson off the off the field as much as you can. They can't do that if Baltimore's the one who jumps out to a you know 17 point lead or whatever. Um, so everything sort of broke Tennessee's way. Um, And as for the Patriots game, I mean, I think that was more a case of the Patriots being overvalued, whereas now I don't even know what to make. Basically, Ryan Tannehill has broken all my presumed understanding of the NFL because, you know, I think he was long thought of as this, you know— Terrible quarterback and he's come in here and he's completely changed everything about this team and you know as much as he wasn't a you know key passer in either of these games still having that effective play action threat you know and he threw that one you know long touchdown is enough to keep the defenses off balance and you know he's the reason they're here
1: so jeff what do you think will happen i mean how do how do both tannehill and henry stack up against the chiefs are there similar opportunities for them to kind of upend the narrative of that game
2: with regards to what I just said I think the game script is key and if they can't slow KC it's going to become a totally different game where they can't just pound Henry um, into that line every play they're going to have to take to the air but Tannehill's shown he can do that and it's not like the Chiefs defense is is that dominant they've certainly looked better in the second half of that game than they've looked most of the year
1: so much of the game against the Ravens had to do with the defense stopping the Ravens great offense can Mahomes and the Chiefs offense be stopped in a similar way Neil
0: I don't think so in the sense that you can't run the same type of sort of you know defensive back heavy no pass rushers kind of shell type thing and and just allow Lamar Jackson to run at the first hint of things because Mahomes isn't the same quarterback you know he is able to reach places on the field with his arm later into a play in a broken play, you know, not not just the first option but going down second, third, fourth in a way that maybe Lamar Jackson isn't at that point yet and he's much more willing to kind of abandon the pocket and run when when things start to break down. That yeah, I don't think you can play the same game and obviously the Texans I think were not as good of a team in terms of the ability to get a lead and just nurse it in the way that the 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 Titans were able to do. Uh, but I think also the Chiefs are much more explosive in their ability to kind of come back from a given situation. Better passing offense statistically uh, during the season. The one thing that I do worry about, though, is that the The rushing matchup, you know, of the Titans offense against the Chiefs defense does strike me as somewhat similar and maybe even like more lopsided statistically in terms of Tennessee just being able to attack a weak rushing defense. And that, to me, might be an interesting question about this, you know, or takeaway about this Tennessee uh, playoff run is have we reached the point where, you know, the, the wisdom of stat heads who have been getting more – influence in front offices and, and coaching staffs in this decade is that run defense is somewhat irrelevant. If you can stop the pass, even that is known to be random, but it's something that if you can try to do it, it certainly helps you win games at a, at a more efficient rate than caring at all about stopping the run. Uh, and then on the other side, obviously the pass is, you know, the the primary focus of almost every good team. Uh, have we reached a point where now you can see a team like Tennessee, which is built totally in the opposite way and focuses so much on the run that they can take advantage of some of these paper-thin run defenses that, uh, you know, the wisdom of the league has been sort of telling us for so long doesn't matter. Now you have a team that's like custom built to just take advantage of that and maybe we'll start to see things swing a little bit more in the opposite direction but I don't know what do you guys think
1: I think it's interesting like Derrick Henry had has had such an incredible run in the second half of the season in the playoffs so much better than he did in the first half and you know he averaged six and a half yards per carry against the um the Ravens that's not I don't feel like that's a sustainable thing for really literally any running back so if this is like – I don't feel like the league is going to reshape itself to it, – I don't think the league should reshape it, itself to stop Derrick oh, Henry. Oh, but there's Maybe nothing that will. the NFL
0: loves more than to reshape itself off of like one outlier.
1: Yeah. So you're, that's a really good point. Ask Sean
0: McVay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so this game, our model gives the Chiefs a 69% chance to win. Is How are you feeling about those odds?
0: I mean that seems right. To me, just off the top of my head, we should say that that's not anywhere near as lopsided as the, the game that we were just talking about against the Ravens. And I think the Ravens and Chiefs are somewhat comparable in terms of the stats and things like the ELO ratings. But Tennessee got like a massive boost to their ELO when they pulled off that big upset against the Ravens. And now they actually have a higher ELO rating than either of the NFC teams do right now, which maybe that's an overreaction. I don't know. Uh, but I think as we learn more about these teams, that's the benefit of something like ELO is After a result, you can kind of reassess – a result that was, like, very wrong, you can reassess and uh, adjust going forward. And so they're nowhere near as lopsided as an underdog as they would have been if, say, like – they faced the Chiefs in the second round. They would have been probably, you know, would have been the same magnitude of an upset uh, as against the Ravens.
1: Well, so over in the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers will face the Green Bay Packers after a less than great weekend for me and Grace, our producer. The Niners didn't face much of an obstacle in my Vikings, while the Packers defeated Grace's Seahawks in another single possession, weird play call game that's so common for the Seahawks and, and kind of the Packers, too. Our model gives the Niners a 64% chance at beating the Packers. Jeff, how do you feel about those odds?
2: I mean, look, I think the the Niners, you know, what we saw last week was when this defense is fully healthy. I mean, talk about a team. I mean, they were clearly the only team that really really took advantage of the bye in the sense that they got healthy. They had a great game plan. They came back as the team we'd seen earlier in the year with that defense, um, not the defense that was sort of limped to the finish line and giving up 40 points every week. Um, they're a truly dominant unit. And I think we saw that, uh, with what they did against the Vikings. Um, I would
0: not want to bet
2: against that defense the way it was, the way it looked. Uh, Saturday, at least
0: our model is higher on the Packers than Vegas is. Uh, I think we consider um, the Niners to be four point favorites, whereas in Vegas it's like seven and a half. We also think that uh, the Packers have the edge at quarterback, that Aaron Rodgers, that he is better than Garoppolo. I think statistically, you know that that's a case that you um, can make pretty easily. But also, you know, the Niners are at home. I just don't think that uh that the Packers can engineer that upset. But maybe, you know, Aaron Rodgers is such a such an interesting quarterback. This is probably his last legitimate Super Bowl shot, right? I mean, you have to think at the age that he is, he, he may not get closer than this. I again. mean,
1: players are gonna quarterbacks are gonna play till they're fifty. Oh, you know? right. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Yeah,
2: yeah. A part of it's also just Kyle Shanahan. I mean, I think he's just clearly The most innovative and and, and probably the best offensive play caller in terms of like the amount of different looks and the crazy stuff he does each game Um, with the 49ers offense. It's really not even about Jimmy Garoppolo. It's just about this kind of very creative scheme that is is, seems to be different each week.
1: Importantly. All three of us have teams from our Super Bowl draft that we did many
0: Remember that many
1: weeks ago. We all three has, have teams still alive in the playoffs. I have the Niners. Jeff has the Titans. Take it in round seven, Jeff. Pretty pretty impressive. And Neil has both the Chiefs and the Packers. Oh, so annoying. So I need a
0: rematch of Super Bowl one, <laughs> and then I will be guaranteed to have the Super Bowl winner in our, um, yeah, our
1: yeah. pool.
0: I look forward, uh, Jeff, to you being like, um, when you get the team in the Super Bowl, being like, eh, I wasn't even paying attention during the draft. I wasn't trying. <laughs> well, I don't think but I really was paying <laughs> attention when I took the Titans. Look who I took them
2: over. It was like the next picks were the uh, – The Bears and the the Raiders.
0: The Raiders. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that does make sense in that seventh round. Both teams
2: I was really down on, so I think I just kind of fell backwards in that. I, I will not take credit. And and yes, I wasn't paying attention.
1: As the NBA's regular season marches steadily onward, some fans and members of the media are questioning the way the league is being covered, and in particular, who gets covered. Here's Zach Lowe on his ESPN podcast The Lowe Post.
2: Star. If Kyle Kuzma is a star, what is Chris Middleton, a hall of like a hall of Famer? Is Devin Booker the greatest player of all? Time? Can we just dial it back a sec? And but and it seems frivolous, but this is what drives fans of the other teams crazy. Is that Kyle Kuzma is covered like a star? If I'm a fan of a small market team, if I'm a This is why the Raptors fans and the Jazz fans are all up in arms about how this is covered because it's like
0: it's totally disproportionate to his standing in the league.
1: Lowe's take led one ambitious Twitter user to track just how many times certain players and teams were mentioned in tweets from accounts affiliated with ESPN and Bleacher Report. Neil, what were some of the more interesting findings?
0: Well, so first of all, we should say that uh, the intrepid uh, Twitter user went by uh, the handle of, I love this, so his his handle is Shoddy Pippin, <laughs> but uh, his like name that shows up is Scotty Pippin, <laughs> so uh, that that goes for uh player impact plus minus <laughs> sure yeah, <laughs> which is a raptor um uh player metric, so got gotta shout that out, uh but basically, he was kind of digging into different like tiers of players and asking users to guess. Uh, which of this group got the most attention. So first he looked at uh, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and LeBron, and which of those got the most. Unsurprisingly, LeBron had over 320 posts uh, or, or tweets from the ESPN and Bleacher Report accounts, whereas Kawhi, Harden, and Giannis were all between 100 and 140. So LeBron, two to three times more sort of attention put on him than these other leading MVP candidates. That's not really surprising. I mean, LeBron is the biggest star in the league. But then once you start to drill down a little more, there's some weirder cases. So he compared Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving and found that Kyrie had... About double the posts about him in October and November, just in those two months alone, then Lillard has gotten all season long. And we should say that Kyrie has barely played this season, but generated all of this attention in in a fraction of the time. He compared Luka Doncic, Anthony Davis, and Carmelo Anthony with Nikola Jokic. So all three of those first guys that I mentioned had over a hundred posts about them. Nikola Jokic had fewer than fifteen. Posts about him. And Carmelo Anthony wasn't even on an NBA roster until November, uh, but had 10 times the number of posts that Jokic has generated. And also, Melo has three times as many posts as his own teammate, Lillard. If we look at a couple of Warriors, or 2019 Warriors at least, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, Steph and KD have played a combined three games all season. Uh, But they together have twice as many posts as Donovan Mitchell, who's averaging 24 points a game for the Jazz right now. Uh, And then also speaking of the Jazz, Rudy Gobert, two-time defensive player of the year, he only has two posts about him all season, and both of them are negative. He was on the receiving end of a play uh, from someone else. So those were sort of the top-line findings that he had. I don't think they're especially surprising some of it is driven by market size you know lebron uh, obviously is a huge star would be that anywhere else but especially putting him in la uh with the attention that the lakers get it does make sense you know for him to to have that much attention carmelo anthony used to play for the knicks uh who have a rabid following on social media. So I think there's some leftover uh with that. And the guys that are being shortchanged, they play in Portland, they play in Denver, they play in Utah. You know, it's not
2: Mostly Utah. Mostly <laughs> Utah. It's really,
0: the end of the day, no one
2: cares about the jazz. <laughs>
1: That's so sad. I will say I think some of this is situational based. Like Kyrie Irving had a lot of posts about him because he was on a new team and then got hurt right away. And generated
0: a lot of controversy with comments and and, you know. He's a kind
1: of polarizing figure. Mello also there was a lot of interest in what might happen there, whether he might get back into the league and then his
0: redemption. Right, yeah.
1: And so I'm not surprised that more people talk about Mellow than Dame because he's the like This rogue figure back in the league. Whereas Dame,
0: yeah, is sort of like he's been there and he's just doing the same. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) You get nowhere just being a good, solid dude having a strong game.
0: But I think that's uh, some of the point, and we'll kind of unpack that later, but you know these social accounts are sort of driving in concert with players own tweets and and instagram posts and things like that they're driving the the narrative of the league especially during the regular season when we don't have a lot of on court action or we've chosen not to really care about the on court action and talk about it uh and so i think that these disparities do matter because they tell us about some uh, something about how the league is covered and how the league is okay with being covered but should it be
2: do you think if we if we in another reality had twitter in the 1990s we would see the same thing unfold where the number of tweets about dennis rodman or charles oakley would outnumber those of stockton and malone and clyde drexler uh, literally the same teams we're talking about i mean
0: (laughs) yeah no it makes sense though it's a good comparison
2: that would be my question. I don't know the answer. I mean, I feel like the, that Jazz team did get more attention, but I do think the market thing is, is a huge factor. I mean, it's kind of also like goes back to a lot of the conversations we've had about Mike Trout where, mm. you know, he didn't seem to be captivating the national <laughs> interest because, it, you know, Anaheim, while a big market, it, it's not a high-profile landing spot and he was relatively consistent and Kind of boring on <laughs> – without really ma- doing anything terribly interesting except being great at his job.
0: Well, I also – I mean I think Trout has been harmed irrevocably at least to this point by the Angels not being relevant and yes. and not winning. And, and so he hasn't had moments – in the World Series on a large stage to uh, to really kind of market himself to casual fans the way that, like, LeBron James... Has tremendous casual fan recognition because he was in the finals, which, you know, a lot of people will only really tune in for that or maybe the late stages of the playoffs. He made the finals, what, like eight straight years or something like that? I think that that plays a role. But if we go back to your question, Jeff, about the 90s and how it would be covered, I think we can sort of look at the way that like coverage was for. You know, regular season games back then. I think there was more of a focus on... The, the teams that were good taken at face value, you know, like how you are playing now and some thought toward what it will mean for the implications for the championship race. But that allowed a team like Utah, not in a big market, to be able to be one of the focal points of the league and sort of how they were jockeying for position and relative to the Bulls and things like that. Those were more of a talking point, I feel like, at points during the regular season than they would be now. Look at Giannis.
2: That's an example of a player who cut through a small market with the sheer weight of his star power. But you have to be doing something on the court that makes people want to talk about you. And I think he has that. You know, I mean, people are constantly talking about what play did he do last night and that kind of thing. You have to be inherently interesting, either in how you play or or your personality off the court um, if, if we're going to be using this as a measuring stick for social media.
1: Well, Giannis is a good, sort of a good, a good example here because he's as good or better or in the same, on the same plane as LeBron, but he's not a celebrity in his own right. He doesn't have the kind of branding right. that LeBron does. So these, you know, the celebrity players seem to get more coverage maybe because... They have that brand. Is that like, does that make sense? Do we, is that what we want for coverage to go to guys who are famous for not necessarily their basketball? I mean, and LeBron, of course, is also, you know, the best player in the league or one of the best players in the league. But like, if we're talking about mellow more than we're talking about. Lillard, have we shifted too much to celebrity instead of play?
2: That's part of the the nature of sports. I mean, people want to know these guys' personalities, and and they become more interesting when they have personalities and you know who they are. I mean, I think that's what the NBA has done great over the last ten years is is they've really given them by embracing social media and embracing YouTube and all these things, and and encouraging the players to sort of have these personalities. It, it that's what draws fans you know i mean that's what a fan wants they want character and, and i think problem going back to trout is that he just wasn't is is not that interesting for as great as his numbers are it's not his fault i don't knock him it's not in his job description to have like a a quirky personality but you look at the difference between harper and trout a lot of that comes down to persona and personality and, and
0: fans are more compelled to talk about harper for good or for bad. I do think that it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because you're right, Jeff. Nowadays, you can connect with players' personal lives a lot more readily. In fact, way more readily uh, than you could even as recently as, like, the 90s. Could you imagine if, like, Twitter existed when Michael Jordan... Was like staying out gambling it until been really bad, <laughs> you know, like 4 a.m. the night before. Allegedly, uh, allegedly, allegedly, Neil. Sorry, allegedly. I should I should point that out. It allows us to know a lot more about players beyond just what we can see on the court, but at the same time, now it kind of feeds this cycle where we end up talking about players for things they do that aren't on the court and downplaying because there's still only a certain amount of attention to kind of go around the accomplishments of players like your Donovan Mitchells of the world uh, and your Nikola Jokic's, the because sort of all we see of them or all we care to see of them or all we're fed of them in this media cycle is the stuff on the court or in Rudy Gobert's case, just like apparently nothing. We're just not fed anything uh, about him. You could say that it's because the fans are the fans are getting what they want. And if they respond to uh, a certain style of coverage with more clicks, then the the media is incentivized to sort of cover things more that way. But then you end up in sort of this endless cycle of, are we responding to this style of coverage because we want it? Or do we want it because it's what we're being given?
1: Well, right. I mean, we, we've talked about this a little bit yesterday about how this is sort of akin to women's sports in general, Like people – news outlets won't cover them because they don't generate the reader interest. Why would readers be interested in it if they never hear about it? So I think – but I'm also very sympathetic to the idea that what you're going to tweet about or what you're going to post about needs to be something that gets clicks, right? That's how media works right now and you are judged by – Page views and engagement on your tweets. So, you if you know that anything you write about LeBron is going to get a bajillion—that's a technical, a technical number—a bajillion page views, and anything you write about Donovan Mitchell is going to get, you know, ten. What are you going to do there?
2: I do think it's kind of a vicious cycle. I think you know, you're right, Sarah, that the media dwells on the, the players that people are interested in, and, and people are. Probably only interested in the people the media dwells on, so it, it, they kind of, you know, fold on top of each
0: other. Yeah, and how does one become a player that people are interested in if you aren't given a chance to be a player that people are interested in?
1: I think one way is to not play in uh, Mountain or West time unless you're playing in Los Angeles, <laughs> like that, that. I do. I think mean, that's, I think that's right because people mean, don't see you on TV, right? Like, I think Giannis. It, it, were he playing in Portland, no one would talk about him either.
0: I don't know about that.
1: I mean, Dame Mullard is really good, right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of these guys are really, really yeah, good. Yeah, Yeah. And we don't – why are we talking about Giannis? I mean, he, they, they went far in the playoffs, and I think that was – last season was the first time a lot of people really tuned into him. But Milwaukee doesn't get a ton of coverage. I mean, the Bucks are the best team in the East, and they're not getting – that much coverage right now. I mean, they're like,
0: playing, uh, they're having a season like one of the best teams of all time. Right. That is also sort of flying under the radar because we're conditioned not to really care how teams are playing at this point in the season. Something that I've harped on a lot and talked about a lot on the show of just the way the NBA is treated for the majority of the season where you're going to see memes and celebrity and off-court drama overpower stuff that happens on the court because we've just sort of seen the regular season as this kind of time in which you're sort of biding your time for the playoffs. It's a very long uh, schedule. It lacks urgency. Uh, and so in that sort of climate, of course, we're going to like snack on the the dessert food of memes and stuff like that uh, in the absence of like actual food to extend a forced food metaphor. <laughs>
1: Well, right. And that's and that's sort of the fundamental problem. Also, relatedly, NBA ratings are down. I mean, and so there's this whole thing happening where the regular season doesn't matter as much. The players matter more. Players with big personalities who are celebrities in their own right are getting more coverage. And then the ratings are down. It's like, well, yeah, that does sort of that makes sense. Right. I mean, we're not we've changed the whole way you look at a season of sports and and maybe not for the better.
0: And Adam Silver has also talked about sort of this idea that uh, a lot of young people don't have cable uh, and they are getting the game really more through social media uh, and they're watching clips, you know, they're not watching full games. They're, they're seeing highlights, which feeds into, you know, the most exciting players, the the players whose, whose value can be most distilled down to, you know, one play, be perceived more as, as the best players in the league. I don't know necessarily though that having a sport play out over social media exclusively uh or you know uh, in in large measure is maybe the right answer either because we've seen you know this gets talked about a lot in politics that uh people twitter is such a bubble that people uh, on there who are on there all the time feel like it is Representative of reality in a way that it's not actually representative of reality in in many ways, and then they kind of come out of that bubble and they can't understand why Joe Biden is leading the polls on the on the in the Democratic primary or whatever. Uh, and so I feel like it itself is such a weird sort of like uh, insular ecosystem that. It's created its own type of fan that is like totally distinct from the type of fan that's watching on television uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, Ones that subscribe to cable and watch, you know, whole games or follow their local team or whatever. So it's kind of a weird, like fractured environment where I don't know if even a one size fits all approach to stardom necessarily works anymore uh, the way it did when it was like Michael Jordan everything is going to, you know, revolve around him. And some players are big enough stars where no matter who you are, they're going to, the league will revolve around them. And LeBron is that player.
1: At five thirty-eight, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories; some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents—the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Take it away, Neil.
0: The NHL All-Star Game is coming up—not uh, this weekend, but the weekend afterward—to kind of fill the sports void, I guess. I'm so excited. I mean, you should be. <laughs> I feel like we're—we've been chipping away at your who. <laughs> Isn't excited. Yes. Uh, at, at your hockey, antipathy. you know, fandom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been chipping away at the antipathy and we're finding fandom underneath. Sure. It's like when, uh, you know, the sculptors say that the, the sculpture was always inside the block of marble. They <laughs> no. just needed to unleash it. That's your hockey fandom. Song.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So anyway, uh, the NHL All Star format is really the one that I think most radically, at least intentionally, radically differs from the normal, Rank and file nature of the game, so unlike in the NFL uh, with the Pro Bowl, the NBA and the uh, Major League Baseball All Star Games, which play a version of the actual sport at like full strength, full rules, etc. But the NHL and they did this for a long time too. You know, uh, their All Star Game was five on five, normal, and uh, it resulted in a lot of scoring. Way more scoring than in uh, a regular game, and this is something that you know we kind of went back and looked at for the years that they had five on five. There would be eighteen and a half goals scored per game uh, across both teams. Compare that with a regular season where there were five and a half goals scored per game across both teams so that would be a uh 236 percent change (laughs) in the scoring environment of the league if you compare that with other sports so the nfl saw a 50 percent increase in scoring from 44 points per game in the regular season to 65 points per game in total for the all-star game the nba saw an increase of 45 percent in its scoring from a little under 200 points per game to uh, 286 total points per game and then uh In Major League Baseball, scoring actually went down between the All-Star Game and the regular season from 9.1 runs per game to 8.2, which I guess is because of, like, relievers. Right. So anyway, hockey had the the sport that changed the most between the All-Star Game and its normal incarnation already. And so they sort of looked at that and they were like, look. Who are we fooling with this? Why even try to continue to kind of put together this farce in which we're scoring 20 goals a game? Why not just play three on three? And so what they did was they created this three-on-three tournament format where basically the most skilled players had more ice, more opportunity to kind of show their skills uh, and and more time to work with. And there was also, they were looking at research that showed that in three-on-three shots, Per minute go up by about 10 shots per 60 minutes, uh, at least, if not more. Uh, shooting percentage basically doubles. So your odds of scoring a goal at three on three, at least in overtime, which is the way they kind of do it in um, uh, in the NHL now, are uh, 16% on a shot. If it's on five on five, it's about 8%. And so the goals per 60 minutes are way up in three on three, but there's something about the format of three on three where it, it drops the pretense of defense being played, uh, and it creates a lot more breakaways and, and various, uh, you know, opportunities to kind of pass it back and forth and score. And it, I think it's been a, a, a big success for the league. In fact, to, uh, the degree that now it was announced this week that there's a new three on three professional hockey league actually coming out called three ice. Uh, which is interesting name, odd name, uh, but it's supposed to come out in June of 2021, where it'll be this traveling roadshow of uh, eight teams, and they just play three-on-three with each other, uh, and they're not affiliated with cities. They're actually affiliated with different sponsors, which is uh, another kind of bizarre uh, turn, but something different than what we've seen in other leagues. So I guess uh, my, my takeaway from this is that we've talked at, at length about just like what is the function of an All-Star game. All of the leagues are struggling with finding the purpose of an All-Star game in, in today's environment. But the NHL seems to have sort of hit on something where they took what was good and exciting about the, the way the game can be played and sort of just steered into it so my question for you guys is what would you do along these lines uh with the other all-star games that would sort of be a a novel twist that could increase excitement and relevance in it or do you think that nothing should be changed about certain all-star games and that this is just a gimmick and that once you go down the path of these gimmicks that you're just going to have this never-ending stream of of weird things that you have to roll out to to kind of maintain interest.
1: I am extremely pro gimmick. I think the Pro Bowl should be flag football. Like don't put even real uniforms on. Just get out there and have some fun, guys. I don't know how to fix baseball, but like maybe it should be like we combine the all-star game and the celebrity softball game <laughs> and the players coach the celebrities and you know, Well, you
0: could argue that the major league baseball all-star game doesn't need fixing. Cause it was the one that it's most resembled the, yeah. the normal game yeah. at
1: least. Yeah. yeah,
2: I agree with that. I actually think that the MLB all-star game doesn't need fixing. I think that still works in its current format. I, I think the NHL is probably closer to the pro bowl in the sense that, the sport is changing so much, you know. If you when you have guys wearing helmets and all these pads, and the, the game is so much about physical contact, and then you try to remove that, the game is just going to change to a degree. I think they have to innovate, and they have. And what they've done, that's great. What the NHL's done better than I think some of the other leagues is that they've been they've treated the All Star game as this like petri dish that changes every year. I mean, they were the first to do. Remember when it was North Americans first. Europeans and that might they did come back on 3 uh
0: supposedly, um, in some form in the three on three, maybe like next season,
2: they did this schoolyard draft, which the NBA just straight plagiarized um, <laughs> wisely, because it was interesting. You it was a idea. A draft.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The NBA, I think did do that, right? Like if you want if your league is becoming about <laughs> collusion and beefs, like set up the draft like that, like have your the players pick their friends and be yeah, a whole thing. Drama. And yeah, like that's that's more fun. The game is like extremely stupid, but the silliness around it is- Well,
0: should they, should fun. they play three on three, like, uh, big three for the NBA All-Star game? Well, one
2: easy fix for the NBA would be to add a four-point line. I don't know why they haven't done that already. Because that's
0: even been talked about. Because they're
1: afraid it'd be too popular and they'd have to have- Yeah, it to I know.
0: Oh, do. Reason. I mean, James Harden- <laughs> Harden with a four point line would be like a kid on Christmas morning like a little
1: four point (laughs) circle on the. (laughs) that's a no brainer
0: like everyone will
2: watch that. By the way, there was a headline today that the NHL skills competition is going to include players shooting pucks from the stands. I don't really know what that means, but I'm I'm in. I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I want to know what that. It's about. like
0: those old like Larry Bird, uh, Michael Jordan, McDonald's commercials <laughs> where they're like shooting from the roof. Right, though. right, right. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I think the NHL, I think, is doing this right, and I think I am more likely to watch that game because it's different and like kind of fun and not so it doesn't take itself so seriously which is what i find extremely irritating about baseball, a baseball like yeah, come on sure. guys like just it's for one
0: mid-season classic yeah, sarah yeah. Ugh, gosh. the tradition <laughs> a tradition almost unlike
1: any other a tradition like all the other games because it's exactly the same <laughs> that will do it for this week's show thank you so much for joining us we'll be back in your feed next tuesday if you like what you heard, please subscribe and be sure to review and rate the show. It really does help other people discover the program. I promise I read all of the reviews. You can also email us at podcast at to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Grace Lynch. Tony Chow is in the control room. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Mallon. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.